welcome to the Monsters and Myths show, where we shine a light on the obstacles and inhibitors, uh, the things that will trip you up when you're trying to change things on an innovation or transformation journey. Today's guest, Mr. Robert Wood, is a former Marine turned drinks iconoclast. He is a multi-award winning founder, entrepreneur, and I met him so about six years ago now when I had the pleasure of experiencing some of the products that he had made at the time. And I've followed him very closely ever since then. And I was really excited when he got hold of me after listening to episode one of this series. And he said, hey, I see those monsters in my industry and working in the hospitality industry. He was quite surprised to discover that actually the monsters and myths that we've been talking about over the previous couple of episodes manifest themselves everywhere. And that's Part of the whole thing behind this series is I'm trying to get people to understand they're not industry specific. So without further ado, Mr. Robert Wood, do you want to tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about yourself and um, how you end up seeing so many monsters and myths in your industry? Thank you for uh, having me on the show. So my name's Robert Wood. Um, I am a bartender, if you'll ask me. Uh, this is something that uh, tends to be a hang up because uh, I'm not really a bartender anymore, but uh, it is still what I refer to myself because uh, when people ask, I want it to be fairly easy. I've been bartending, if you will, for um, a little over 15 years. Um, started working in bars and started opening bars and then eventually started working them as uh, as outside projects working with uh, brands and uh, other owners to uh, refine their own product and bring in some of our own uh, status quo breaking uh, systems and and i can say that that's quite a collection of beverages behind you for those that are listening on the podcast you really need to actually jump onto the youtube channel to rather see that uh, the tools of your trade as it were and i know that you've been asked to do a number of um uh, very inventive things um i have to say that for me personally and i should have said this right in the beginning you actually epitomize innovation. I know you shy away from that term when I've used it before, but in the recent lockdown, you, while the entire hospitality industry was devastated, you ended up coming up with multiple innovative ways to carry on earning a living, um, whereas most of the others just uh, crawled into a hole and uh, um, curled up in a ball. Uh, so you do you are very creative very innovative in the things that you do and you've been asked to do some strange things before but more importantly you've encountered monsters and myths which you're going to share with us today so what's your first monster or myth that you want to talk about well i think going immediately onto the subject of innovation i think my first uh monster i guess uh, would be the notion that innovation for innovation's sake is uh, something that 
controls our industry. We have a, I suppose, a collection of uh, 20 or 30 recipes, maybe even less that uh, maybe referred to as classic cocktails, drinks that date back to the 1800s. And there are a sense that they have been around for a long time because they're excellent. But uh, going into a bar and ordering a dry martini, a Manhattan, an old fashioned, you should be able to get them and you should be, be getting a very similar product when you order those things. In the same way, if you walk into a restaurant and order a classic dish with a classic sauce, it's going to be that sauce, not a version of that sauce. Um, and it would appear that uh, going into a bar now and ordering a Negroni, an old fashioned, a Bloody Mary, you're getting a version of it. So the bartender can show off how creative he is, to show how innovative he is. Um, when it comes to the Bloody Mary specifically, because it's uh, flavors that people are familiar with before they even touch booze, it's, uh, it's a subject matter that uh, is quite uh, quite maddening for me personally because of course you might have made a tomato based dish and you might have read cookbooks or you know watched mom or grandma or dad cook the world of tomatoes etc are immediately opened up to you now I can't remember the last time I walked into a bar and ordered a Bloody Mary and actually got what would be considered a Bloody Mary and yet I do get red wine, soy sauce, basil, all the things that don't go into a Bloody Mary. And in fact, uh, one particular case a few years ago where a bartender served me a Bloody Mary that uh, he was quite eager to tell me had blood in it. Sorry, say so what, real blood? And that was pretty much my reaction. <laughs> I said, blood? Um, and he said, well, not human blood, but pig's blood. So I bought pig's blood from a Chinese supermarket, like the kind of thing you would make, um, you know, blood soup or uh, blood pudding, a black pudding. And I've distilled it using a rotavac, which is a piece of machinery that's come from a laboratory. It is a uh, under pressure vacuum distillation unit. You can distill pretty much anything. And when I say anything, I mean anything. Um, now this particular gentleman had distilled blood to take the iron content out of it, to put it into the Bloody Mary to add a iron-like taste to said Bloody Mary. My question to him was, when was the last time you tasted blood and it was a good thing? The yeah. last time I tasted blood was when I was punched in the face. <laughs> and that wasn't a particularly memorable experience. You know, cutting yourself, uh, you know, heaven forbid your child gets hurt and you, you know, you put their, their wound in your mouth, whatever. None of these things are pleasurable uh, to most, I might add. Um, and, and the question had not really come across um, this particular person. It was a case of, well, I can distill blood and therefore I'm going to distill blood. So, so just doing it because they can, not because it added or enhanced anything, not because anybody had ever asked for it. I mean, that, that, is, that is a perfect example of, of an innovation monster of, you know, oh, we've got to do something cool because it's cool. Although I can't And also, see... to, to, to that end, you also have the maybe it's not a flip side, but it's an extension of that, I think, where people want to use innovative and modern processes and innovative 
methods like distillation, like centrifuges, like sonic homogenization, to say that they've used that method. And I think that's, again, one of those things where you want to use the latest and greatest, the newest and most, uh, you know, trendiest of techniques or buzzwords to kind of like tell your customer, your consumer, your guest, that what you're doing is super cool. Um, I presented a, a clear, a completely crystal clear, like water looking pina colada to a group of bartenders and asked them, how did I do it? Now, this kind of goes back to my childhood where in my school, um, one of our teachers stood up on the lectern during an assembly, opened a can of dog food and spooned it into his mouth and asked, how did I do it? And walked off the stage. And the whole school was a rumor of how he must have, because uh, he was a technology teacher, he must have uh, cut it open and then re-welded the can. And no one got to the point that he just changed the label. <laughs> and in fact, this crystal clear pina colada, the answer I got from this field of bartenders in front of me was that I distilled it, I'd centrifuged it, I'd done all these things and milk punched it and clarified it all these ways where in fact I just added vodka to a sweetened coconut water and added some flavorings. And in fact, it was what you know, they were like, wow, this is the most incredible thing. You must have done this, you must have done that, where and all of them would have taken hours and hours and hours and thousands of pounds of equipment investment. And yet what I did was take a very, very simple approach and put it together in a glass. There's there's a myth embedded in that one as well. And that is the myth that that innovation has to be new and it has to be complicated. And that, as you say, you've got to use all the latest and greatest and you can only be innovative if you're using the latest things. Whereas actually you've just, what you've just described there is the fact that you can keep things really, really simple, use things that exist today and still come up with something that's innovative. I'm not sure I would want a clear pina colada because to me it wouldn't look like pineapple juice, but I suppose, you know, after I've drunk it, that's what I, but. It, it, as long as no ice cream in it, that's all right. <laughs> pina colada needs ice cream. Sorry, this is a sad joke. We have this all the time. I think pina colada should have ice cream. Although apparently I'm just uncouth and, and really, really can't. Um, I don't know what a pina colada should actually consist of. Um, I do have to vouch for Rob's pina coladas though. They are bloody good. Uh, so yeah, there's a, there's, there's a definite myth inside the, of the over the complication. I have to admit that one of my guilty pleasures is watching MasterChef um, uh, every year. And I, I have to laugh when the particularly the amateurs get to the point where they suddenly start using all the gadgets uh, the sous vide machine and this and that and they want to use it because you know smoke machine you know we're going to smoke it and and the end result is generally complete disappointment the smoke machine doesn't add smokiness that they thought it was going to add the sous vide machine means that their stuff comes out looking pale and gray because they haven't browned it off properly or something like that and it is it's it's aligned with that innovation for innovation's sake your monster um so and that bloody mary is going to stick in my mind forever i'm actually going to have <laughs> to use that example um and and in, as an extension to that the myth that it's got to be complicated and 
you can only yeah. innovate if you're using all the latest toys and techniques and so that was a two for one in that one unless that was one of your next ones that you were moving on to no. yeah i two for ones are not something i normally do but in this <laughs> angle uh you're welcome <laughs> so what's the next up so i guess my next one would be uh outsourcing is okay because uh, when I opened my first bar, someone told me immediately, you know, you can't do everything. If you're going to work behind the bar and own a bar, you're going to find yourself uh, missing things. And that was uh, entirely true in terms that, you know, I felt that uh, because it was only a very small bar, only 10 seats, um, that, you know, I could keep up with uh, the social media and the accountancy or at least the bookkeeping and uh, work on the mise en place and the guest experience and the booking system and all those things. And in fact, what we ended up doing was outsourcing almost everything except just focusing on the guest experience. And I think that's also something that uh, translates into ingredients as well. A big one for me is uh, outsourcing things from within uh, my profession within drinks uh, industry, of course we have lots of products. You can look behind me and see a number of them. Um, but one of the things that uh, is always a sticking point for me is that people believe that if they do something themselves that it will automatically be better. And my point is that if there is a company that does it and has done it for many years done R&D and uh, full reporting, you know, not only in food safety, but in, uh, you know, every other development of uh, food and drink, that when you buy it from them, you're buying a product that is not only 100% consistent, hopefully, uh, but also you have a fixed cost and you know exactly what you're getting. And uh, something I've seen quite openly through visiting the bars, judging COTS competitions, and even uh, having members of my own team coming into uh, the fray and approaching new things. Okay, I made this, this cordial, this syrup, I, I made bitters is one of the big ones. You know, bitters is the salt and pepper of uh, the drinks making world. Uh, you know, it's the, the spice rack, if you will. But uh, almost every bartender I know at some point in their career has played around with throwing herbs spices herbs roots fruits etc into a jam jar for a unmarked period of time with some high proof abv giving it a couple of weeks and then filtering it out stick it in a bitters bottle and tell people they made their own bitters when i then ask them how did you make it what's your recipe what uh, what mass was this bark under what temperature did you introduce it? You know, was it uh, individual ingredients that you brought together at the end and so on? And yet there is uh, now hundreds of producers of bitters and cocktail flavorings. We can buy a bottle in the same volume you've just made over three weeks for 10 pounds and you get, you know, hundreds of serves in some case. Um, and so for me, it's the idea of if you outsource something, whether like myself, I'm outsourced by lots of companies to come in and do their creative work or their innovation for them, um, installing sustainability and responsibility programs, uh, drinks um, through creative sessions or just full packages. They're outsourcing me because they don't either have the, the expertise in-house or they want to outsource it because it's easier, it's more 
you know, contained. Um, and that's the same thing. If I buy uh, raspberry syrup off the shelf, I know what's in it because they have to tell me by law. I know how it tastes. I know that the next time I buy it, it's going to taste exactly the same. And it's this idea of outsourcing something to a professional rather than a DIY version is almost always, always better. And, and so if I take that as the myth, the myth is that you need to do it all yourself, which exactly. is that. So you've dispelled the myth that. Or doing it yourself is better, I guess. Yes. Yeah. 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 The, the myth that uh, doing it yourself is better um, because there, there are many, many occasions across industries where where there are lots of specialists that have done the research, put in thousands, hundreds of thousands of hours to come up with a component part of something that you might be making. And whether that's an ingredient in your industry or whether it's technology in, in, in a lot of industries, a component of an app, or whether it's a part of a eventual customer experience or product. And so many companies that I come across are, are under that myth that, um, oh, we need to do it all of ourselves because then it's our invention, our innovation. And yet one of the most powerful business models that there is today is leveraging ecosystems. So having a network of reliable and trusted suppliers that specialize in the thing that they do so well so that you can focus on what it is that you're delivering to the customer. Because that's the key thing for all of us. It's what are we delivering to the customer? What is the customer paying us for? And the customer isn't paying us to go and harvest all the fruits or to grow all the stuff ourselves all the way back there. You don't need vertical integration both ways. Building up an ecosystem of trusted suppliers and partners, advisors, consultants, that kind of thing, does not diminish. As a matter of fact, it will normally add to your end product delivery service because you can pick and choose the best of the best the things that suit you and what you're trying to deliver the most. So I I absolutely, so the myth of doing it yourself, um, I think is what we're gonna call that one. Um, just mm -hmm. making notes for the, um, for the show for the things that and and that is that's a great myth and and with with the way that you've described it it's um it's very much uh on a component basis within your industry as you say ar around the syrups and things like that but that that can be used as a metaphor in in any industry it comes to the same damn yeah. things you know we're i was talking about the car industry that 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 have been for many years using components from multiple different places and assembling them and putting it together. And, and you don't think, oh, um, this car is, is um, worse because Mercedes-Benz didn't make every single component that's in there, every nut, every piece of electronics. As a matter of fact, you get comfort from the fact that it's been assembled with some of the best electronics from Bosch and some of the best of the all over the place. So why would we think any different of any other product or service that, that, that gets delivered? So uh, if you're innovating, 
don't try and do it all yourself. Don't fall under the spell of the myth that it's only innovation if you've done the whole damn thing from scratch yourself. Leverage your ecosystem and uh, and find the professionals within that. Absolutely. Brilliant. We've got good there. What's your next one? Have you got another one for us? Yeah, so I think the next one um, is about money. Money is, of course, uh, what makes the world go round. Um, but uh, so often I find uh, companies, I guess, throwing money at a thing instead of actually looking at where it went wrong. And for me, this is uh, something that I've had personal um issues with, I guess, uh, not personally throwing money at something, uh, but uh, experiencing it from, from both sides. Um, when I've opened venues uh, or when uh, we have opened venues, um, we always have done it on very small budgets. And uh, in a fairly recent example, we actually had a bar uh, kind of word trickled down to us um, that uh, this other bar in the city where we were uh, operating was on the hunt for us. They were they were after our clients. They were after like what we were doing. Everything about what we did apparently offended them, and uh, it was their mission to close us down. Now they spent millions, I'll say, probably not millions, but uh, at least one um, million. Um, on opening this incredible venue and had all the best team or at least the best individuals um, from the managers to the staff and um, they had the best products um, you know the the funkiest uh, seating and the most incredible looking venue and after eight or nine months they closed and we were open before them and we were open after them and we didn't have a fraction of their budget. But what we always focused on was the customers walking through our door got the best possible experience for what we could do. Now, we don't have hundreds of pounds to spend on chairs or thousands of pounds to spend on decor and artwork and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, we sustained through that period and were as popular as we were when they opened to when they closed. Uh, but they felt that if they threw enough money at this project um, or even threw enough project to uh, threw enough money at, uh, at trying to close us, um, then that was one of those things that would happen because they had more money and therefore they had more say they had more everything. Um, and this is something that we see quite often, again, in a similar notion to if you buy all the fanciest equipment, if you, um, you know, get influencers to, uh, you know, use your product on social media, whatever it may be, throwing money at something isn't going to, I'm not saying it's not going to affect the final outcome, but in fact, what you can do is not throw a load of money at something and actually just look at what you can do with what you have and focus on the small parameters that don't require a huge amount of money, like, for example, being uh, excellent customer service and just making people feel special not making the venue feel special for example and I think it's something that uh, I, I heard uh, Roland uh, talk about in your first episode where um, 
you know, this idea of, you know, you don't need a lot to create a lot. Uh, so the myth is definitely the myth that money can buy success. Exactly, 100%. And that is a huge myth. If, if, if I remember rightly, um, the, the uh, venue that you're talking about that you were running at the time also actually won awards while the other company was uh, trying to take you down. And Exactly. And I had the pleasure of visiting that venue as well. And the did. thing that made it special was the people, the vibe, the whole, it was the culture of the place. And I think that a lot of people try and copy. Um, they, they try and see something that they think is cool and innovative. And they think, oh, if we spend enough money, we can create exactly the same thing. And they don't give thought to the things that money can't buy. You can't buy a culture or a vibe or heart and soul, as I would say. And that 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 is a huge myth. And I think that a lot of big companies fall foul of that, thinking, well, you know, if we just set up an R&D department and we put 10 million against it, we are going to be so successful. We're going to crush it in the market. And there comes a cheeky little startup that's been bootstrapped out of nowhere, you know, um, dumpster diving for, for, for kit. And, but the people behind it have got their full heart and soul in it. And the culture is what attracts the customers. You can't compete against that. You just yeah. can't. That eats the, 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 the finance and the budget every single time so that that is a that's a brilliant myth and it's one that i really wish i knew how to kill how to dispel um other than just to repeatedly show people examples i mean i've worked in organizations exactly. that have that have spent huge amounts of money um trying to be cool and and it's fallen flat because the people who were tasked with executing their heart wasn't in it because it was a, a dictat from above as it were so so they didn't well, i guess it's the idea of you can buy innovation as well you can't buy it it has to happen yeah. you can uh, you can you can facilitate it but you can't uh, you can't buy it yeah you can facilitate it i that's part of what i do a lot of is mm -hmm. as an innovation catalyst i can facilitate but my role is to bring out the best in in your people in your organization to think and be more innovative not for me to say here's the cool thing that you must do because then it's not yours um and yes so that yeah money can't buy success that's a that's a good myth and that's the i think we're about done you got anything else left for us we're on 25 minutes no, I, that's yeah i think we're good timing then that's um we're going to wrap it up there then uh, but if people want to find out more about you um, and they want to uh, stalk you, find out what your next project is, what's the best way for them to do that? Is that Instagram, Twitter, website? I'll put it in the show notes, but just for the people that are listening instead of watching or reading. Yeah, Instagram is probably the easiest thing, the thing that I check probably the most. Um, yeah. So Instagram is Bon Vivant Bartender. Yeah. Um, if, you're, if you're not an Instagram user, then uh, I'm in Rob We Trust at... Uh, on uh on twitter 
Uh, and in fact, uh, if you wanted to email me, I honestly, uh, I wouldn't mind. I'm on my email uh, every hour God sends anyway. And that is, of course, also in robberytrust at me.com. Perfect. I will make notes of all of those and put them in the show notes. Rob, it has been fantastic having you on the show today and for you to share your stories that show that monsters and myths go across every single damn industry. And I hope it's going to encourage other people to start hunting the monsters down themselves and identifying them and uh, figuring out how they can uh, how they can uh, kill the monsters, dispel the myths. Thanks again. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Cheers.